everybody. Welcome to Family Office Connections. Uh, my name is Bill Woodson. I'm Head of Strategic Wealth Advisory and Family Enterprise Services at Boston Private, an SVB company. Today, we have the great pleasure and honor welcoming a distinguished panel to discuss philanthropic giving. I'll let each of the panelists give a brief introduction. Um, so let's just kick it off, and then I will go over a series of questions, and a conversation will ensue from those. Um, I'll start out, Colin, with you. Uh, please get, tell everybody about yourself and what it is that you're doing. Hi, Bill. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on this great conversation. Really excited to be here. Um, I have been working at the intersection of technology and nonprofit fundraising for really you know, over a decade at this point. And I work at a company now presently called Arjuna Solutions. And my role there is connecting philanthropists, donors, a lot of people probably listening to this podcast, with opportunities to multiply the impact of their existing giving and also helping to empower nonprofits with new technologies. And I think, you know, the, the course over the course of this conversation with my uh, you know, fellow panel mates, we'll we'll really get into what that means and, and different ways of doing that. Great. Um, next up, uh, Steve Finn, please introduce yourself to everybody. Hello, everybody. I'm Stephen Finn. I'm the co-founder and co-managing partner of City Capital. It's S-I-D-D-H-I. Uh, we're an operationally focused food and beverage focused venture fund and growth fund. We're investing currently out of our second fund. We've got a couple of portfolio companies in there and are, are finalizing our raise now, closing it out. Uh, we're focused, laser focused on food and beverage. Uh, so we see two sides of that. One is basically the consumer products companies that are coming up in, in a better for you food and beverage world. Uh, and the other side is the sciencey, what I'll call future of food tech, uh, including advances in plant-based technology and cell-based meats and precision fermentation of animal proteins and all that fun stuff. Uh, and then in all of my free time uh, and my family's free time, we, we like to work together on philanthropic causes that resonate with us. And the way that we operate is we we can all sort of do our own thing individually uh, and then choose to come together when it makes sense uh, and, and support causes as a group. Great. Thank you, Stephen. And then uh, last but not least, Jeff, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Bill, thanks for uh, having me here today. Um, my name is Jeff Delizio. I'm the Chief Development Officer at the Epilepsy Foundation of America. Uh, I oversee philanthropic operations plus uh, marketing and digital strategies uh, for our national organization. Um, I've been in the nonprofit space for uh, well over 15 years now, uh, including uh, a long stint at the American Red Cross, uh, some time abroad in Africa, and uh, pretty much everything in between. So I'm excited for the conversation. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Um, look, the, the purpose of this call, while broadly philanthropy, is going to be really focused on best practices as they pertain to significant uh, philanthropists, so wealthy individuals and families, their family offices, uh, from the perspective of, I think, three very relevant and insightful panelists. Um, you have here uh, a family office uh, in Stephen, who uh, does exactly what it is that many who are listening to this podcast do, which is evaluate charities, uh, determine where they want to give, how they want to give, the effectiveness of that giving, and he will share some of those best practices. Uh, you have um, Colin Stewart of Arjuna Solutions, uh, who is both an advisor and a technology vendor to charities and nonprofits. Uh, and their solution, which we'll talk about at length later on, is really an enabling tool for the philanthropists themselves, in addition to just serving the nonprofit. And he'll talk about that. And then obviously, then finally, we have Jeff Delizio, and he is uh, running a nonprofit or, and in that uh, capacity, um, understands and I will give a perspective on how uh, not only donors interact with nonprofits, but maybe some best practices from both directions, i.e. what should donors keep in mind as they're engaging with nonprofits? And then uh, how should nonprofits interact with the donors themselves uh, for the mutual benefit that uh, that partnership was designed to achieve? 
Um, the format over the next hour will be that we will, I will ask a series of questions and a conversation will um, come out of those questions. And um, we hope that uh, this helps not only um, improve your philanthropic endeavors, but uh, really gives you confidence uh, that there's a significant role that you can play, not just in donating money, but also in helping the philanthropies themselves be better at their jobs. And in some respects, uh, taking on a greater responsibility for helping those nonprofits. Um, so why don't we kick it off? And this is to all three gentlemen. Uh, feel free to weigh in um, at a high level. As you've worked with philanthropists, what are some of the greatest challenges that wealthy families face in developing, conducting, and evaluating their philanthropic activities? Well, I can kick that off, Bill. Um, never been too shy, and I guess I won't be here. You know, one thing that I've heard a lot from the philanthropists, the major donors that we speak to, so frankly, there's a lot of pressure put on them um, to increase the size of their giving, to provide recurring donations. We just saw today, uh, I just got a New York Times alert that there was a $125 million gift given to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Jeff, I'm sorry you missed out on that one. It would have been a good one for you. Um, that they alone, these donors are the ones who can kind of write the checks that can sustain these organizations and, and help to deliver and distribute their kind of life-saving care and services. Now, is that message flattering? Maybe. Is it stressful? Certainly. Is it sustainable? Definitely not. So, you know, the, the challenge and opportunity that I see is how do we help organizations become self-sustaining with philanthropy? And I'm actually going to quote um, a, a letter uh, from Melissa French Gates that she just wrote for the Giving Pledge, reasserting and reaffirming her commitment to giving away most of her, her fortune. And the quote is this, the ultimate goal of any philanthropist should be to render the need for philanthropy obsolete. And I think that's a really interesting and powerful sentiment. Um, that's really hard to figure out, right? How do, you, how do you donate in a way that makes it so you don't need to donate anymore? Um, so, so that's what I think a, a really big challenge and opportunity facing donors today is. And let me um, drill down on something you said, which is, you know, helping the charity become self-sustaining. Um, why is that important for a philanthropist, particularly larger charities um, who, in theory, have a broad base of support? Uh, is there an actual role that a philanthropist can play in that regard? Uh, and then related to that would be certainly many of the family offices here are not just emerging philanthropists, but they are um, philanthropists in niche areas, in smaller uh, um, uh, areas. Maybe they're the, 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 the front runner in helping provide assistance in an area. And so what's important to them to help that charity and how should they go about conducting their activities to help that charity be self-sustaining? You know, I'll, I'll jump in and just say, I, I, this is Jeff. I think that what we don't want to see and one of the challenges are often this can be a transactional relationship, right? We're, we're moving into this world where, you know, oh, I, I need the money and it's operational funding and we need to, you know, just to get to the next point to get to the next point. So it's, I think one of the challenges uh, that uh, philanthropists uh, face is is getting outside of that transactional relationship and actually starting to build the infrastructure um, and, and leverage their skill set. So uh, for me, it really comes down to uh, you know how how are those relationships uh, made, and whether it's a large nonprofit like the American Red Cross or a small one like the Epilepsy Foundation, um, those gifts have meaning and are powerful, and they want to make sure that they have that impact. Um, and and where that impact is is really going to be zeroed in, or should be zeroed in, based on. Um, the background, the interest, the skill sets uh, of that philanthropist, because they bring a lot more than just money to the table. Yeah, this is interesting. And look, we're, we're going deep quickly, uh, and I wasn't going to get to this until later, but I thought, uh, just given it, I think just based on our prior conversations, part of what you're conveying 
is the ability for charities to use their donations to help create that infrastructure that allows them to be self-sustaining, i.e. fundraising or other means. And that there are challenges to that in light of how the industry evaluates and communicates to donors, how effective a charity is being with their dollar in terms of allocation to GNA. Is that partly what you're meaning? Uh, that's you know that's exactly what I'm um, I'm hitting at. I think that, um, and there's a lot of opinions on this, but I think there is way too much focus and attention on uh, the administrative functions uh, uh, of nonprofits. It's of course something we want to keep in check, but the reality is 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 you have to build the 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 roads. I I've, I said before, uh, you, you know, when you're trying to give uh, mosquito nets in Africa or vaccines in Africa. Uh, certain areas, um, th- that's great, but you need to have the roads built to g- actually make that uh, make that happen, and and that's not as sexy as putting vaccines out there. So you know, for us in the nonprofit world, um, you know, often you know, again, we're focused on that operational component of of I've got a budget, I need to hit that budget every year for revenue targets. But the reality is, is if I can have somebody help me build out some infrastructure, which typically goes into that GNA category, um, you know, let's, let's just call it like a million dollars that might be able to build a million dollars could turn into three or four or $5 million if done correctly. Um, and that um, really changes the game in terms of how, um, you know, we're, we're operating and not to sound too cliche, but it's, it's in a way it's like teaching you how to fish uh, rather than just giving you a fish. And, and Bill, I'm just going to tack onto this. This is Colin again, you know, this, this concept, uh, and I'm not smart enough to have come up with it, but it's something that I believe very strongly in is this concept of multiplication philanthropy. It's the brainchild of a, a great thinker in the nonprofit space, Dan Pallada, Go check out his stuff. Uncharitable is a great book. Um, but the theory is that when you see a great program, let's, you know, Jeff is the chief development of the officer of the Epilepsy Foundation. So let's take that where we want to cure epilepsy. Um, and they have maybe are funding a great, you know, research program for that. You know, our initial instinct is to put money into that research program, right? And when I donate a dollar into that research program, that research program then has a dollar to spend, which is great. We love that. Um, but how can we leverage those dollars? How can we multiply the impact of that dollar? And fundraising in, in that kind of GNA bucket um, is kind of the function at these nonprofits that has the ability to multiply dollars. So if you think about it as a for-profit enterprise, you put money into marketing or advertising, right, to, to help grow your, your, your customer base. This is when you invest in fundraising, that's paying for the people and the systems, the technology, the events that you know raise more money. So if you care about finding a cure for epilepsy, how about donating to the fundraising apparatus? Let's give it to Jeff, right? So he can turn that dollar into $2 or $3 or $10 uh, for the mission to then solve epilepsy. So my $1 then becomes $5, $10. Um, so it's this multiplication impact. I mean, you look back in 2020, this country, we gave over $470 billion to charity. Um, it's an amazing number. That's more than $100 billion in the entire digital advertising marketplace. Uh, imagine if we started to multiply that $470 billion. That's when you start getting into the trillions. That's when you start getting into the space that Melinda French Gates was talking about, uh, where we're starting to make philanthropy obsolete because the resources are so abundant. And, and just to be clear, um, it's not just about helping the charity with fundraising. It's about helping the charity get the right people. That's right. It, it's about everything, right? And I, as someone who spends my day reviewing opportunities for investment, and then I look at nonprofits for philanthropic opportunities, every decision for investment for me and for presumably other investors uh, boils down to some combination of product, market, and team every time. Uh, and it, in most of the companies we invest in, the vast majority of that is team as it is, right? Unless they're building factories or have some giant capex need. So we we love that, right? Having the best people working on your problem adds tremendously more value than it costs to to pay them more than the next guy. Uh, and it's it's 
it's strange for me to live that all day and then pivot into looking at nonprofits who are racing to the bottom on GNA costs uh, as if basically like having worse people is a badge of honor. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, and Stephen, that's a great point, right? So what influence can the donor have in terms of helping achieve exactly what you just said? What do you guys do, for example? Um, it's we, we really try to back nonprofits whose leadership we trust and then let them do what they need to with it, uh, I would say, is, is how we generally approach it. Um, we found that to be best for nonprofits. We're, we're totally open to suggestion, but I, that, that's how we look at it. And is that because you take a bit of a direct investing mindset towards your nonprofit engagement? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I would say I think about it very similarly, right? I'm trying to back smart people doing things I believe in on both sides of the coin. Uh, and it makes total sense for the dollars that we're deploying into philanthropy. Like It's just like Colin saying, right? If you want to multiply impact, get the right people working on a problem. Don't get someone who costs $28,000 a year because they cost $28,000 a year. Got it. So um, that's helpful, um, and it's a nice segue to a very related question, which is, as you would for a direct investment, you're going to want to evaluate effectiveness in a philanthropy. You want to have profits and uh, revenue in a, in a business over time. Um, what are some of the best practices, and this is a question to all three of you, that charities adopt now for their own purposes of assessing accomplishment in terms of what their mission is and what might philanthropists look for in the nonprofits that they support to ensure that they are disciplined in exactly that measure. You know, I think that we hear so often about, you know, impact investing and, and uh, the impact piece of that. And it's absolutely correct. I mean, what we, what they want to what you want to see in terms of effectiveness is how, how are you using uh, these, these frankly, you know, very precious resources uh, that you have at your disposal? How are you utilizing that to have the greatest impact? And that impact can mean a lot of different things. So, um, you know, depending on the organization, depending on the mission, depending on the people, you know, that could, that could be um, fall into a variety of different categories. But in terms of, of uh, you know, the effectiveness, I, I think that for us, you know, we really want to make sure that we are um, uh, staying laser focused on our mission uh, so often that, you know, that you could get scope creep uh, in the in the nonprofit space, um, and you could have impact, but it may not be in the thing that you're really trying to trying to accomplish. So for me, it's it comes down to can you leverage, um, you know, the not just the, the 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 treasure piece of this, but the time and the talent of uh, of your of your donors and your partners to really, um, you know, enhance all aspects of your mission, right? It's not, you made it a point, Bill, it's not just about the, you know, the, the fundraising infrastructure, although that in many ways is the engine, but it's how do all those things connect and, um, you know, be able to, to grow your mission effectively and smartly, um, which is a real challenge uh, for a lot of nonprofits, frankly, because they want to say yes, they want to do things, they want to help the people in front of them. Well, I'm going to make an observation then, Steve, I'd like to ask you what you guys are doing in that regard. My observation is something that you made reference to uh, both on this call and in prior conversations that we've had, which is a scope creep that at least in a prior call you had mentioned sometimes is influenced by the donors themselves. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's cautionary for donors. It's understandable that they want to impart their own particular idiosyncratic needs and desires on a large uh, nonprofit or even a smaller one. And that might raise money for the nonprofit. But is that in the nonprofit's best interest? Scope creep can have a real detrimental impact on a nonprofit organization. It, it you know, it, it, it might have a, a short-term 
uh, benefit uh, or burst. Yeah, you're getting some cash in the door. Uh, you might be able to deliver submission. But again, nonprofits need to think sustainability over a long period of time. Um, and uh, we we often see that um, you know there's an opportunity for donors to really influence um, the the mission there, and that's a really good thing. Um, the way that works as a best practice from from our standpoint in the nonprofit world is I, I, I don't need you to just be a partner. I need to have a real relationship with our philanthropists, with our donors. I need to make sure that they are bought into our mission, that they understand what we're doing and where we're going. It is, it is more than just sending you an email or a blast out there. You really need to be in our mission, uh, especially in the family office world when we're talking about uh, gifts uh, that can be significant. Um, there, there should be nothing held back here, right? So I, I, I want to open my books to you. I want to be able to bring you in, and that will limit uh, the the potential for scope creep because you have that real alignment in vision between the donor and the and the leadership of the nonprofit. That's a much more eloquent way of saying what I was saying earlier, which is basically buy in to the the people on top and then trust them to do the job, right? Just because Jeff is into nonprofits and epilepsy and I'm into nonprofits and epilepsy doesn't mean that we would do the same thing with the dollars. And if I'm devoting a bunch of dollars to, to Jeff's foundation, we should be fully aligned on what those dollars are for. And in a perfect world, they should be for what the nonprofit's mission already was. Uh, otherwise, you, you wind up and what is effectively a, a treadmill situation, right? Where you're just trying to, to keep up. Uh, and with last year's thing, right? If, if, if I'm donating a bunch of money to epilepsy uh, and it creates a program and then next year I'm gone, they have to decide whether or not they're continuing to support that program that may or may not have been on mission in the first place. And the treadmill speeds up. <laughs> I got I, I to feed the beast, right? I you mean, that's, 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 exactly, that's exactly right. Well, that's a really uh, interesting point, and I, I do want to move on to other topics. But let me make uh, a uh, let me share a statement and get your reactions to it. You know, they say that four to five restaurants fail in the first five years, and usually that's because the restaurant hasn't been able to deliver the product, the service, the cuisine, the quality that the marketplace demands. Should it be the same with philanthropists, with philanthropy, with nonprofits? Probably. I mean, most startups fail too. Just because you choose to exist doesn't mean you get to continue existing, and that should apply to everybody. I, I think um, the the cautionary tale there for me is what we tend to see from my vantage point that nonprofits don't necessarily fail fast or or, or even fail um, uh, straight out. It's they limp along for, for quite a long time and they're doing some good, but that can be really, if you're a, a, a philanthropist that's looking to really impact something, um, that is another area to, 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 to pay attention to is, uh, you know, th that there is some good that's happening there, but is it the, if for lack of a better term, the best good, right? So is it really the best thing that can be happening? And that is a hard thing to, to determine, which is why I tell people to to get involved and to and to really dig into it a little bit. You have that right. Um, so I, I think that's a more um, cautionary area of, of really trying to discern, you know, is a little bit of good, good enough? And I would say oftentimes it's not. So Jeff, let me follow up on a, phrase you use, which is doing the best good. I don't know. I've seen, I've seen many philanthropists, uh, particularly those who are uh, just now engaging in philanthropy, they came into an enormous amount of wealth and they have the time now to engage in their passions in that area. Um, and they just dive right in and they get started. They want to support uh, early childhood education in their city, for example. Uh, and, and then a couple of years into it, they're frustrated by the inevitable challenges that come with managing a business, with having to fundraise if they don't want to be the sole funder, or they get tired of being the sole funder, or they're having a hard time managing people. And all along, there was another charity that does early childhood education in that community. And yet they chose not to partner with them. They chose not to support that one. Um, and therefore, they weren't doing the best good because over time, as they become discouraged, they stopped supporting. They've sort of limped along, so to speak. Um, how do you, you know, what's your thinking on that? It, because on the one hand, you want to encourage philanthropists to give. 
And in order to do so, you got to give something back to the philanthropist, which is something that's in it for them. They're participatory. They get to create. On the other hand, you want that philanthropic dollar to be both, you know, as well used as possible and sustainable. And those aren't necessarily going to align all the time. Do you have any thoughts on that as it pertains to the philanthropy that you and your family conduct? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it cuts both ways. And it, it actually goes back to what I was saying earlier with Jeff, right? If the other early childhood nonprofit is not aligned with what I want to do in early childhood nonprofit, maybe that's a direction I would take. Uh, I have personally started a couple of companies and I know what that looks like. And you're either all in or you're not. Uh, so for anyone who's not, I would strongly advise against starting anything. Um, but I, I don't think on the flip side of that, like the, the world is not, the world is, is big enough for multiple nonprofits in the same space. It's just like, you need to be really willing to dedicate yourself to it and should definitely take a lap and see if there's anything else that, that is similar enough that could could like Colin was saying earlier, right? Multiply your dollar. If you need to set up the same GNA infrastructure to do the same thing as someone else, you're wasting dollars, and those dollars should be presumably combined, uh, and then you know you'd have tremendously more impact with the dollars you're deploying. Yeah, I think that's good advice, uh, which is not to discourage folks from doing it, but be mindful of the challenges and try to leverage those who also do it. Um, because it's frankly all encompassing, right? If you want to do anything else with your time, find someone else. Yeah. Fair point. Um, let me move on. Colin, um, you know, you're at Arjuna solutions. Um, you know, they, what it is that you do for nonprofits uh, dovetails into our conversation nicely for reasons that hopefully you will get into just a second. Maybe you can describe what it is that Arjuna does, but you know, more broadly, what it is conceptually yeah, that Arjuna is providing, including some other resources and technologies and vendors in the space. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. Um, so in order to kind of zoom out and talk about how this impacts the world of philanthropy and, and your listeners, um, I'm going to have to zoom in a little bit to explain just kind of what we do at a nuts and bolts basis, but, but, but I'll keep it, you know, uh, hopefully in plain English. What we do is we marry at Arjuna Solutions behavioral economics modeling with artificial intelligence to help nonprofits personalize communications and raise more money in direct response fundraising. So what does that mean? It's actually fitting that we're recording this on Giving Tuesday, which I'm sure Jeff is very busy. They're raising a lot of money for Epilepsy Foundation today. Um, it's the second biggest fundraising day of the year, except for December 31st. So when you get an email um, or a direct mail piece or a telemarketing call uh, from a nonprofit, they're asking you for a specific amount of money. They've made a decision about how much to ask each individual donor. And this is not, you know, your listeners who were soliciting for, you know, major gifts. This is $5 gifts, $50 gifts, $200 gifts that you, you write a check for or, you know, fill out your credit card information for on the website. Um, so those decisions about who to ask and how much to ask each individual, and when you're talking about the Red Cross or Alzheimer's Association or Epilepsy Foundation, you're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of individuals who you have to make, who each has a unique relationship to that organization and has a unique kind of what we call giving elasticity. So this is where the behavioral economics modeling comes in. Um, based on a variety of factors. So, you know, Bill, you would have a different relationship to the Epilepsy Foundation than Stephen, than I do. And all three of those relationships are unique. And each of us would be willing, most likely, to assign a different dollar value on that relationship and a different level of giving on that relationship. So what we do and what our models do is we figure out exactly how much to ask each individual donor across hundreds of thousands or even millions of, of donors um, that maximize fundraising results. And so what that results in is an increase of fundraising revenue by about 15%. And uh, the interesting number here, the 15% is a great number, we're proud of it, but the more interesting number and in how that kind of fits into this philanthropic component is 
We provide a return on investment of 307% across our portfolio of nonprofit accounts. And, you know, um, so every dollar invested in Arjuna's services delivers more than $3 back to that nonprofit, going back to that concept of multiplication philanthropy. So, you know, what does this mean for your listeners, for donors, about, about kind of, uh, you know, and how we work with donors? You know, this practice that I lead, you know, it wasn't our idea initially. Like any good ideas, we, we steal them, right? And there was a philanthropist who had heard of Arjuna Solutions, and this was about three, four, five years ago. There's a nonprofit that he donated to, you know, wrote a sizable check, a six-figure check. And like any good nonprofit, their major gifts officers were constantly asking him to increase the size of his gifts. And it just wasn't in his strategy and in his budget to, to provide gifts of a higher level. So, um, you know, his response was, look, guys, I'm not going to give you more, but there's this company over here, Arjuna Solutions, who, if they do what they say they can do, can turn my $100,000 into $300,000 for your mission and your cause. So um, he donated, made a gift of our services in the form of about $100,000, and that's exactly what happened. It multiplied into 300 k and we realized this is a great idea. It's a win-win for nonprofits and donors. Donors get a triple the impact of their existing giving, and nonprofits get triple the revenue on top of being introduced and being able to adopt artificial intelligence technology and services in a way they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and, you know, going back to that Melinda French Gates quote of making, you know, philanthropy obsolete, since we've never delivered less than 100% ROI, this is a gift that can be self-sustaining. So a one-time gift can kind of start a flywheel where organizations can pay for continued adoption and expansion of our services, other services, that raise more money out of the gains from that initial gift. So if you give 100K, it delivers 300K. You can keep paying for you know, our services out of that while having more money for your admission as well. Um, so the, the philanthropists can make themselves obsolete. Um, and you know, it's a model that we're really proud to have deployed at places like Easter Seals, Special Olympics, Alzheimer's Association. And Arjuna is obviously, you know, this is something that I care deeply about. I work for Arjuna. That's why I joined the company, this model, but there are certainly other technologies and platforms out there with similar models that I think you can have similar impact. For instance, Social Solutions is an exciting tech platform. They, they're focused on case management, so really arming those people on the front lines, providing them or providing services uh, with you know technology to help measure their impact. Uh, they work, I know, with Steve Ballmer and the Ballmer Group in terms of funding the, the proliferation and the expansion of that technology through, through philanthropic giving. Um, and the other thing I'd caution for your listeners, or just kind of uh, remind them is, well, funding great technology is a critical step here. Um, and there are other services you can fund as well, but I, I'm focused on technology. You know, don't forget the people and processes along with that. And the example is, you know, if you buy someone a plane, that's great, but if you don't hire a pilot or at least pay for some flight lessons, that's just an expensive piece of equipment that you can't do anything with. So I see Jeff shaking his head there. You know, it's really, or nodding his head, it's really important to not forget that you got to pay for not only the, the shiny thing, the shiny toy over here, but also the people who know how to put that toy to work in a way that can drive revenue, impact, mission, etc. And how open to those types of uh, suggestions do you find philanthropy? So Jeff, you know, if somebody came to you and said, look, I'm going to give you a six-figure gift, but you got to do X, Y, and Z, you know, obviously it depends on what X, Y, and Z are, but, you know, is that an important role that philanthropists can make or is it sort of the exception because often they don't really understand what it is you do and what you need and that's really why you have to have a robust dialogue and bring them into the kitchen, so to speak, to better understand it so that they make the right suggestions. 
you got to have that robust dialogue because that that's a two-way street. Uh, nonprofits are not always the greatest expert uh, in uh, the most advanced technology and what's happening out there. So, for example, um, you know, there's still a lot of nonprofits that are very traditionally focused. That's not a bad thing, but the world is changing very fast. And you know, we've made a commitment at the Epilepsy Foundation uh, to be a digital-first organization and to really embrace uh, AI and data and to and to be smart, really smart, as smart as we can about how we're uh, engaging this. And um, Arjuna, just as an aside, is uh, a perfect example of, um, you know, for us, you know, getting a 15, 16 percent uh, ROI uh, or, or, or lift on our gifts is is significant uh, for us, especially since we've had to do extremely little work on our end, um, which and the nonprofit world, you know, resources are generally limited. So um, this is something that lays on top. But the important part there is that we had the infrastructure, you know, we're utilizing Salesforce for our donor data. We had that uh, to build off of very easily. But the other piece of this, which I think is a really hard lift and the structure that Arjuna brought to, to play, I think is another thing that family offices can really play an important role on is nonprofits almost across the board are risk adverse, right? We, we have, it, there's never enough to go around for all the things that people want to do. So for us to say, yeah, I, I need to make a $200,000 investment to, to start seeing a 15% lift in all of my gifts across the board. I mean, that's something that I absolutely should do, but it is really hard for me to go to our board and to say, I need this 200 grand in cash and I think I'm going to make 15% down the road, right? That is not a typical, you know, uh, investment strategy that that nonprofits think through. Um, we need to change that mentality, absolutely. But when you can structure something and say, "Here's the deal: you're going to give us that runway," and what we've done with Arjuna, you're going to give us that first year uh, and through through a family office, and maybe and and in the second year, assuming our first year is successful, which it is. Um, we're committing to saying, and we're committing to that donor, by the way, not not necessarily to Arjuna, to say we're going to match your first year gift, and we want you to um, to continue with your gift. So basically, year one is two hundred thousand, year two is four hundred thousand, but two hundred of that is for me, two hundred of that is from the donor, and then in year three, the donor goes away, and I now have enough trend data to be very comfortable with making that expense and revenue prediction that I can bring to our board. That is such a perfect example because that that donor can now um, you know, fund other areas of our organization, continue to grow that world if that's what they want to do, go to another organization. But we are not now you know, year after year, hitting the same donor for the same thing over and over again, because that is not a recipe for success for us or something that, you know, typically a donor is going to want to do and say, oh, crap, now I got to give $200,000 like for the next 30 years of my life, you know, for this one particular thing. So anyway. Right. Uh, and that's that's what attracted me initially to Arjuna when I found these guys. Um you know, we are we, we've found generally that that nonprofits are totally hesitant to adopt technology at like, like Jeff is saying, but it's two things, right? One is you can't go to the board and say, I need the two hundred thousand dollars. And that's because the two hundred thousand dollars isn't there. <laughs> it's all on that treadmill again, uh, paying for last year's programs and this year's iteration of it. Right. So the, the money doesn't exist, first and foremost. Uh, and then you know, then comes the risk averse, right? So if the money does exist, it, it, it's it's just almost impossible to get nonprofits over the hump to adopt new things. So that's what got me excited uh, initially about Arjuna. And in the case of Arjuna, like I know that if I'm giving this company a dollar and it's, or this nonprofit a dollar and it's for Arjuna services, that they're going to get three. And back to the multiplicative impact of that, I mean, that's obviously something that I should be doing, but it's it's way more powerful than that when you realize that it's not just turning that dollar into three, it's enabling that nonprofit to adopt the technology that will allow it to build the roads Jeff was talking about earlier and get into a self-sustaining flow. I mean, that's like when your dollar can be hundreds, thousands, you know, it, it just keeps going and going. 
Yeah. And so, look, I mean, we've talked, you guys have talked a lot about the benefits of Arjuna, but I, I, I just want to make sure that the listeners understand that that just happens to be the technology that is represented on this call. It, the purpose of talking about it is it's an enabling tool. It's an enabling technology. And in this particular example that Colin shared, uh, it was introduced by a donor that then helped the charity help itself. And there are sort of broader applications across that, whether it's matching gifts, whether it's using the donor's celebrity to help drive awareness and get publicity, whether it's strategic introductions, whether it's expertise in a particular area, whether it's leveraging corporate resources to help the charity. The point is that the philanthropist can do a lot more than just write a check, right? They can leverage their experience. They can leverage so much that they bring and, and help them be successful. And they have greater influence over the nonprofits than perhaps they think. And that's where I think Jeff's point of inviting the donor into the kitchen, as I said earlier, to, to understand how they do things so the donor can be better at providing those insights and experiences and talents. That's what we're trying to get across with the Arjuna example. Now, Arjuna is for large organizations, admittedly looking for many, many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of donors. Are there analogous technologies and solutions for smaller charities that you guys might be able to mention or approaches? Well, so, you know, I think for uh, what I'll just say, kind of generally speaking, is um, it, you know, really depends on the on the specific organization and the size. There's a lot of nonprofits out there that are trying to modernize and maybe can't. And, uh, you know, whether you're just going from, I mean, I know people that are using, you know, Excel spreadsheets for their donor database, um, right? And uh, that that is something that it, you may want to uh, put a little bit of investment and get something uh, off the shelf. So that's, you know, those types of things. Um, it doesn't necessarily always have to be the AI, you know, whiz bang technology. Um, just upgrading from post-it notes to something, tech, you know, on, on the cloud could be a, a, a real benefit for for a lot of the smaller nonprofits uh, that that are out there and I just want to say Bill I, I think we're you know we're connecting all of these dots now right so for, you know if we're working backwards to, to have a, a a philanthropist come in and really you know kick something into high gear like an Arjuna solution like another technology that's going to help us be risk adverse, you know, manage our risk, but also make that investment to, to to grow in a sustainable way. It all goes back to that kitchen table, right? It always comes back to the, you know, build that relationship. Um, and I would say it's on both sides of the equation. I, I if a nonprofit is treating you like uh, a, a checkbook or a, or a, or a transaction, um, then that might not be the best case uh, scenario for you. Um, but also know that you know it, th that that relationship, the deeper that is, the more impactful both sides can be, and you can learn and grow uh, in a significant way. And Bill, I'll just chime in there. You know. Just going back to that kitchen table analogy, I, I think that's so important. And you asked a question earlier, I'm not sure if we totally addressed, which is, you know, say a donor comes in and says, here is a hundred K, but it's only for, you know, technology X, whether that's Arjuna or Salesforce or every action or, or whatever, Blackbot, whatever, whatever the system is, um, you know, that's sort of, you know, an kind of mode of, outdated, even paternalistic sort of philanthropy is obviously something that, uh, or I don't know if it's obvious, but it's certainly something that is, is going out of style because we know uh, that, you know, as Stephen says, it's important to find people you trust, find people who you can connect with, who you are aligned with, and, you know, trust them to make great decisions with your dollars. I can speak from Arjuna's perspective, you know, that doesn't work very well for us when, you know, we just have a donor say, here's a hundred K on for Arjuna and the nonprofit's like, what is Arjuna? I don't know what this is. I have no use for this thing. That's not a good relationship for anybody to be in. We want to be sure the organization wants what we are offering. And typically they do if they're a good fit, not always, but usually. Um, and if they don't, we'll part as friends and wish them, uh, wish them their best. And, you know, I, I, I would think most of uh, anyone else in my position would feel the same way. We want the nonprofits to feel, uh, you know, excited about what they're asking their donors for. Let's have it. Let me um, close by asking, you know, Stephen, a question. Um, and I didn't really prepare you for this, Stephen, so I'm going to go slowly 
uh, as you, um, you. hopefully think it through, which is what, what is it that you guys in your family have gotten out of your philanthropic efforts that is both most significant and then, uh, separately, what have you been most surprised by as you engaged in your philanthropy? I would say significant has probably been the the direct relationships with people that have come out of it all over the place. Um, and that applies as much to, you know, the, the guys from Arjuna who I came across and, and philanthropic paths, uh, as it does to the nonprofits we've supported and, and become friends with over the years. I guess what, what's been very surprising is how easy it really is to have a, a big, genuine impact. Uh, getting involved is not hard. Uh, helping, like like Jeff says, right, helping out in ways that your skill sets can be helpful and you know others can't do that. It really that's going to stretch dollars even further. You know, you are there things, Jeff? You know, look, what I'm trying to get a, get across here is sort of, you know, it's sort of another way to ask a question, right? Is, is somebody comes to you, they just sold their company, they got a ton of money, and they want to start their philanthropy. What advice would you give? I, you know, I, I would, I mean, that conversation has happened, you know, so as we go down that road, um, you know, we want to meet, we want to talk through, you know, this is not something that um, we want people to just dive right in on if we can if we can help it right so uh, the first steps of those equations is build the relationship you know really get them to understand um uh, uh the the ecosystem of the world they're trying to participate in if it's early childhood education if it's epilepsy if it's disaster relief right i i want to make sure that that they are as educated in the space as possible, uh, and then we and then we lead into you know where that right uh, impact is, and and I will just say the other side of that coin uh, for smart nonprofits, uh, you know, is going to somebody like Steve and and tapping his resources beyond his check, right? So it's not you know Steve is a strategic thinker, um, you know, uh, a lot of people that are in that position have skill sets that are incredibly valuable. Again, the nonprofit. Uh, has amazing the industry has amazing people um, in it, but the skill sets aren't always that diverse necessarily. So for me, I as part of that relationship building, I ask as you know, hey, what 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 do I need to look at in terms of this technology? Or you know, hey, when you're talking about marketing, I just had a conversation with um, you know the the CMO of Quad.com, who is the you know one of the largest uh, marketing agencies in the world. Um, it, it was an hour of him just telling me, you know, what we should be doing with our marketing. A lot of valuable stuff. That hour was probably just as valuable as a check in some ways. So, I, you know, I think we really need to look at the the full scope and the picture. But take the time to engage and understand that world uh, and move together, uh, move forward together. Yeah. Well, that's very helpful. You know, I'll wrap up by saying. Individual donors in the U.S., I think the U.S. is by far the greatest philanthropic country uh, by many magnitudes. Um, it is something that, you know, we should collectively be enormously proud of. Um, philanthropy, however, is not easy. And, you know, hopefully you got a sense for the call today that uh, it is a business. Um, and it's more than just money, right? It's excellence in execution. It's using hiring the right people. It's leveraging the right technology, the right strategies. It's being thoughtful about when you do it, go alone, when you partner. And family offices, because of the size of the checks that they write, because of the other attributes that they bring, can be enormously influential beyond just the check. And we just gave you a couple of examples in the talk today. Um, and it starts with understanding what you want to do, engaging in those relationships, which Stephen mentioned was so valuable. Um, working with folks like Jeff to understand where you can contribute, understanding the technologies and the solutions out there like Colin represents through his company and others, uh, and then engaging and probably iterating over time, you know, based on, on, on how things progress, how they unfold, and where the opportunities present themselves. And through that engagement, I suspect the family and the family office will get that return on investment 
which comes with charity. You know, they say that philanthropy is the most selfish act. And there's a reason why they say that is because the philanthropist gets as much, if not more, out of it. But in order for that to be maximized, we as an industry want to help the philanthropists, we the speakers here, do so in as effective and efficient and as successful a manner as they possibly can. And uh, we appreciate everybody listening uh, to us. And I want to thank Colin Stewart of Arduino, Steve Finn, for sharing his perspective as a family office uh, significant contributor, and then Jeff Delizio, certainly of the Epilepsy Foundation for your insights. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, and other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by calling us at 800-422-6172 or emailing at info at bostonprivate.com. Boston Private Bank and Trust Company has been merged into and is now Silicon Valley Bank. Banking, lending, and trust products or services under the name Boston Private are offered by Silicon Valley Bank, a California bank with trust powers. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC and the Federal Reserve System and is an equal housing lender. Silicon Valley Bank is the California bank subsidiary of SVB Financial Group, NASDAQ, SIVB. SVB Wealth Advisory, member FINRA and SIPC, SEC Registered Investment Advisor, offers brokerage and investment management products and services and is a wholly owned non-bank subsidiary of Silicon Valley Bank. Boston Private Wealth, an SEC Registered Investment Advisor, offers wealth management services and is also a wholly owned non-bank subsidiary of Silicon Valley Bank. Investment products offered by SVB Wealth Advisory and or Boston Private Wealth are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, and may lose value. None of Silicon Valley Bank, SVB Wealth Advisory, Boston Private Wealth, or any of their respective affiliates provide tax or legal advice. Estate planning requires legal assistance. Please consult your tax or legal advisors for such guidance. Copyright 2021 SVB Financial Group, all rights reserved. SVB, SVB Financial Group, Silicon Valley Bank, Make Next Happen Now, and the Chevron device are trademarks of SVB Financial Group, used under license. The Boston Private name, logo, and any related marks are trademarks of SVB Financial Group and used under license.